Hey friends, um, it's good to be back with you. Today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, part 1. And um, I think we'll look at verses 1 through 6 today. This central question that Paul asked, uh, we're going to see that in verse 1. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Then in verses 2 through 6, and more after that we'll look at later but paul tries to get the galatians to analyze um, their own hearts and relationship to the question that he poses in verse one all right as we've been talking about the believers in galatia we're beginning to slide back into legalism away from grace through faith in jesus legalism is more about self right i mean that's why it's called self-righteousness and and actually righteousness from self is an an impossible task because we come into life with this heart that is bent towards sin and it's too late for us anyway right even if our heart wasn't bent towards sin we've already failed so anyway, the, the Galatians, they persisted on this path of self-righteousness. Somehow uh, they had got it in their head, it seems, that they could sustain the righteousness that came through faith in Christ by going back into legalism. So if they kept on this path, Uh, their personal relationship with Jesus was going to get out of focus and continue to fade into the background until self became the spotlight in everything. All right, so let's get to it then. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. No, Paul's not known for beating around the bush, is he? Here he gets right to the point, and he uses strong language that says that they are being deceived. They're being tricked or caught in some kind of a spell. Who has bewitched you? I suspect for the Galatians, the Holy Spirit had already begun nudging them, reminding them, prodding them back towards grace through faith, not of works like he does for us but they weren't listening and the thing is this bewitching has an ability to begin creating blind spots and blank spaces and spiritual forgetfulness in our hearts and in our minds and paul's words they seem loud even on paper oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's like he's correcting children, saying something like, Who offered you this potion? (laughs) Why did you foolishly accept this teaching? This elixir is making your eyelids heavy to the beauty of Jesus. It's giving you amnesia. Don't you remember how God awakened you? to the biggest and the best news ever proclaimed, how Jesus is the greatest treasure in the universe. But now your eyes are heavy to these things. Look, the cross 
is extremely important. It was on the cross that Jesus took on the penalty of all our uh, law-breaking past, present, and future. So now we don't have to strive to attain that unattainable righteousness. Uh, Jesus gave us his righteousness. He lived a perfect life. And so all who believe and delight in the hope of the Messiah, uh, he gives to them, to us, his righteousness. And he brings us back into fellowship with God. Jesus' crucifixion, it was likely known far and wide. Paul says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. (laughs) Sure, they didn't have TV or radio, right? Uh, Didn't have internet. Uh, um, They got their news from (laughs) word of mouth. And being in the fast food industry much of my life, that was one of the, the things I learned. Word of mouth advertising is the best. Everybody knows that people love to talk. And this gentle one who came, who healed the sick and lame, he did all kinds of miracles. He died a criminal's death. And, and then people began to say that he rose from the dead, and he did. This one who was being hailed as the Messiah. The Galatians had lived through all those news headlines. They had experienced the wonder of Jesus in their own lifetime. And they had received peace with God and new life in Jesus. They believed. They had known the message of the cross. How Jesus died, rose to give them a righteous heart that would lead to righteous works motivated by the Holy Spirit. But now they have begun doing the opposite. They're they're trying to do the righteous works first that they might attain a righteous heart or sustain a righteous heart. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For the Galatians, I think, they were in danger of losing the power of God in the cross in their everyday lives. The the old man was was trying to rise back up. They wouldn't lose their salvation if they knew Christ, but if they persisted in this path, their joy was going to be taken away. It It would be turned into sorrow. And the power of the resurrection that enabled them to walk in newness of life, like the Bible said, that would be like a dream that they couldn't quite grasp or remember. They were already beginning to forget how precious the cross was. That's why I think Paul asked that question. Before long, they might be saying, look, we really don't need to preach the cross anymore. Uh, Anyway, right? Because it might be offensive to some people. I mean, that's really a hard thing to look at. So we'll just quit sharing that. I think we can see how in their eyes the cross could begin to start sounding foolish like it was before they came to Christ. (laughs) But without the cross, what? Man, we don't have Jesus, right? How could we be bewitched into forgetting 
the cross. So that's one of the biggies of why Jesus came, to be paid the wages of our sin, and then to give us his righteousness, all those who believe, to rise up and give us resurrection power so we can walk in newness of life every day. Without the cross, you don't have that. We do seem to be uh, easily, I guess, mesmerized or enchanted or bewitched into forgetting many things in, in our physical daily life, I think. I mean, I have an idea uh, about why that might be. Uh, when I think of politics, for one, I can hardly remember even a few of the scandals that popped up over a year's time. They get tuned out and they fade into the background because the world, it casts something else loud right in front of my face and it grabs my attention. And it's as though I'm caught in its spell. But the cross, though, um, that's the greatest, the most beautiful, the loudest thing that ever was. It's what many have been waiting for ever since man quit believing God and believed Satan's words in the garden. Uh, his, his promises of satisfaction and, um, and glory for mankind over God. But after man's sin, God spoke again uh, about the offspring of the woman who would come and defeat Satan. And mankind had the opportunity to um, have hope in the Messiah who would come. So the cross is amazingly important. Still, we have to be on the lookout always for something that might try to replace the beauty uh, and the loudness of the cross. There's things all around us that want to replace Jesus as our focus on a daily basis, our joy, our anchor, our greatest treasure. Something else wants to come in and push that off the throne. Peter knew about Satan's plan to bewitch him. Satan had just tried in Galatians chapter 2. In 1 Peter 5.8, I expect this was later, Peter wrote the following, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to devour us as well. When we begin forgetting the beauty of the cross, his roar, I think it's already began, but I don't think we usually hear its vibrating sound or, or feel his devouring teeth until towards the end many times but he's on the prowl right i mean his approach is much more seductive i think than we want to admit he sneaks up and observes our habits and our ways and he leads us to believe that we can move freely in his territory eat from his orchards pick berries from the path he travels we may even glimpse him here and there along the way but he acts as though we belong there with him and we become comfortable with him being around. And one day when our guard is down, his terror strikes and a blood-chilling roar it pierces the night sky. You know, Satan tried many times to bewitch Peter. At one point, Jesus said this, Luke 22:31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. 
Satan didn't want to sift out the bad stuff from Peter's life. He wanted to sift out the joy and the peace and the fruit of the Spirit and the mission that, that Peter was on. He wanted to sift out Jesus so he could rule in Peter's heart. He wanted to bewitch him and he wanted him to go back to working as a slave to sin. And he wants that for us as well. I think this is a, a great analogy, how that in the olden days of kings, um, wars were fought so men might sit on the throne in a conquering country, right? So they might rule over the whole land. But you know, what if the defending soldiers spent their days playing cards and video games and they were obsessed with social media and they installed air conditioners and big screen TVs in their tents and they binge watched the Game of Thrones and cat videos all day, right? <laughs> what if they slept in their PJs until noon instead of in their battle clothes with their boots on? Do you think that they're going to be ready when the enemy attacks? With their guards down, the kingdom will be overthrown and a new king will rule over the heartland of their country. So for us as believers, with our King Jesus, it's always ground zero. We're always fighting on the front lines. Satan is always attacking. And when our guard is down, sin steps in to take us captive as slaves again. And Satan wants the throne in our heart that was tailor-made for our Creator, for Jesus. It's true, right? What or who we esteem as our greatest treasure is the one who gets to rule. And uh, uh, it can happen in a second or can take uh, much time before it's realized in our life. I remember the children's story of Rip Van Winkle, right? He fell asleep as a young man. He woke up with a long gray beard. <laughs> Maybe for us, years pass and we waken to realize that this sin that replaced Jesus on the throne of our heart is taking a good part of our new life in Christ that could have been filled with much victory and, and much joy. So Satan's tricky and we need to be on the watch. Jesus warned Peter, as we said, and uh, Peter warned believers in 1 Peter, and, and Paul warned the Galatians. So uh, the disciples and the apostles understood uh, the bewitching of Satan, and so should we. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul said to the church in Corinth, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Satan's always ready to jump on the throne and there's a million different things ready to jump um, and to take the spotlight that is meant to be for Jesus Christ. You know, if we're honest, we're all bewitched by sin on a daily basis. But in this war, we name 
the enemy. We don't side with the enemy. We name the enemy and we repent quickly and we experience victory in our lives when we run back to the love and the mercy of Jesus. So Paul compels them to answer the question, who has bewitched you uh, by asking four more questions. So let's look at verse two. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So what does that mean? I think the Galatians were first awakened when God opened their ears to the word. (laughs) They had faith in God's word and it came alive to them. And the Holy Spirit quickened their spiritual ears to the beauty of Jesus. They heard how he was good news for mankind, uh, what man had been waiting for. They realized their own uh, false righteousness could never make them acceptable to God. They needed, and we need, the free gift of the righteousness that comes through rejoicing, through believing, through delighting in Jesus, in his word, uh, in him for who he is, the promised Messiah, our only hope. And Paul asked them if keeping the law made them righteous or maybe awaken them to the beauty of Jesus. And he asked again in verse 3, Are you so foolish? Remember, he started off saying they were foolish. And now, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So Paul keeps driving home his case. Look, the ways of the kingdom of God... Uh, they do not change after salvation. It's still grace through faith, not of works, lest we have some reason to brag about our own self-righteousness instead of the righteousness that that came through Jesus, uh, the righteousness that he placed into our account. We started out with Jesus' righteousness. Paul said this in Romans 4, Uh, 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. (laughs) And now, after salvation, who sustains our righteousness then? Who grows us in this new life in Christ? It's not the flesh, is it? We have Jesus' righteousness. The cross, his blood sacrifice, covers us forever. You can read more about that, Hebrews 10, 14. We have the Holy Spirit forever in our life. We walk in Christ and in the Spirit. He's the one who grows us. He's the one who quickens us to do righteous works. Uh, That's his righteousness working out of us, not our own. That way he gets the glory, and and that's what brings us joy uh, in our new life in Christ. In our old life, we sought to find happiness and joy through seeking our own glory. But the tables have turned, and we get the greatest joy possible when he gets the glory. 
verse 4, um, Paul says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So here Paul just, uh, he doesn't give an account of the things the Galatians suffered. Um, it may have involved some form of persecution or just a, have been a, a result of them turning to Christ. Many times when the gospel spreads, family and friends of other religions that they came from, they're harsh to those who came to Christ. Yet we take a stand, right? We publicly proclaim our faith through baptism and, and also our word and the way we walk in this new life. And today many believers still suffer in horrible ways around the globe. They're threatened and bullied and they lose their jobs. Um, if the whole family comes to Christ, the family respect and esteem uh, among the community is downgraded to the lowest of castes. And individually, many are disowned by their own families. Some are even killed by family members who claim it is the only way to restore their family's reputation. So this happens. And remember, too, that Paul had suffered much persecution in his life. <laughs> the list of beatings and, and the arrests and, and everything else, including his, his loss of standing in the Jewish community. It was extensive. But was it in vain? Well, he answers for himself in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So for Paul, it was not in vain because he gained the greatest treasure in the universe, Jesus. But the truth is, for all of us, if you truly want to walk with Jesus, you will suffer in some way. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why, again, are we discriminated against when we come to Christ? I think it's understandable. Uh, when we turn our back on like the core values of the world that we have been living in up to that point, when we say no to, to living for self, it angers the world because it shows that strong contrast between living for Christ and, and the world. And, and that brings a conviction, I think, of, of sin on those who see our life and they they were jealous in a sense but they also see their own heart and their own brokenness so we can ask ourselves the same question i think was our suffering in vain um, when family maybe looked down on you when friends co-workers cast you out of, of the circle that you were in because uh, your greatest treasure sw switched from self to Jesus, was it in vain? If it wasn't in vain, let me ask you, are you becoming puffed up 
Are you slipping back into this self this and self that, your own self-righteousness? Uh, when you fall in, in these areas, um, do you quickly return to the, the mercy and the love and the righteousness of Jesus and rest in him for that? Because our own uh, seeking of self-righteousness is contrary to the gospel to which that we, we came to Christ in the first place. Let's look at the final two verses for today. Um, Paul continues. He's asking a lot of questions that really are sub-questions to the first. Remember, again, the first questions was, Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So the final two verses, verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now when Paul drives home a truth he he doesn't tiptoe around it he pushes he pounds he he power punches and he keeps on many times because we need to be awakened and reminded uh, of these things um it, they need to be eternalized into our being we don't need to just lightly hear about them and then move on to something else and here he continues saying that justice, it was not about works bringing us into the faith. It's not about doing good deeds that makes us righteous. It's actually about our faith being counted to us as righteousness because we believe with this confident hope in the promise of, of the righteous Messiah. It's his righteousness that is put into our bankrupt account. So what about good deeds? Are they no longer important? <laughs> Wrong. They are important. Extremely so. But they do not bring us into relationship with Jesus. But they come out of relationship with Jesus. I love Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. Um, let's read part of that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast verse 10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works <laughs> so did you get that we're not saved by our good works but we are saved for good works and it's the Holy Spirit in us uh, in concert with God's Word in believing that motivates good works of love from our heart. Our old way promotes self and his way <laughs> shines the spotlight again on the glory of God. But the principles of salvation, namely grace through faith, uh, not of ourselves, these are day-to-day -day standards of the kingdom of God. And we continue to walk in them after we come to Christ. It's a part of how we walk in the newness of life because of Jesus. So in today's text, Paul reminds Galatians 
and us that Abraham was counted righteous because he believes God. This is kind of an intro into what we will be talking about next time. Um, Abraham, he places faith in God's word of hope, how he would have a son, Isaac, right? And his offspring would be like the stars in number. And in our next session, we will dive in deeper into that and how the offspring who would bring all this about was actually Christ. The same offspring that God spoke of in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. The offspring of the woman who would defeat Satan. And the same offspring that is pointed to throughout the Old Testament. It's all pointing to Jesus. In closing, I want to touch on this ideal of believing. Um, just very briefly, in Galatians 3.6, we just read, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We talked about Adam and Eve and their fall. And I think there's a connection here. Uh, they were counted unrighteous when they quit believing God's word and they believed in Satan and his word. Satan told them that God had lied to them, that they would not die if they disobeyed God. He said, rather than, than die, instead you, will be like God. <laughs> and actually, that's what brought Satan's fall. He wanted glory equal to God's. And now, I believe he's uh, selling this same lie to Adam and Eve. And it's uh, we can look at it later, uh, but it's the same lie that, that we tend to, to believe on a daily basis when we do sin. So Adam and Eve, what did they do? They believed Satan's word. And when they did, they lost their, their sweet fellowship with God. I think we can see something similar. Um, how when a child agrees with their father or their mother's words, uh, there is this camaraderie. They get along great. There's peace between them. They're, they're on the same page. They, they share the same family goals and, and purposes. And they can converse freely. Same thing when an employee agrees with their boss. But when children begin believing their friends' words over their parents, what happens? They become at odds with their parents, and that sweet fellowship dis dissolves. Um, but for Adam and Eve, um, after they sinned, something good happened. Um, in His mercy and grace, God spoke again. And then again and again throughout the Old Testament to all their descendants. Mankind had the chance to turn back and believe God's word again over the words of Satan. They were actually God's words of hope and, and promise of good news. And so they could believe God and come back into fellowship with God. And this would be for all who would confess and agree with God about their sin and the promise of Jesus. So in the Old Testament, much of that was in the shadows, and but they still had the opportunity to trust God and lay it in his hands and believe his word of hope. And we're going to look at more of that in the next session. Uh, let me just say in closing, Satan is very tricky. And we're on the front lines, right? He's always trying to bring us under some incantation or sleight of hand 
like he did the Galatians. He wants to trick us into believing in self and the promises of the world to bring us back into bondage again. Uh, and his spell, it dulls our minds to the things of Jesus. We need to go back to Jesus. Always be uh, seeking him, looking to him, coming to him, and reminding ourselves of how much God loves us. And to, to run back to his love, run back to his mercy, and to realize how he is good news for our soul every single day. And not only... <laughs> on the day of salvation. Um, don't let anything take him out of the number one treasure spot in our heart. Uh, when we do something else, is going to crawl back on. And we're going to get blind to it if we're not careful. Uh, these are Satan's t- tactics, and uh, we want to stay close to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ponder his word. Uh, always be in his word and praying and and acting out the gospel in our lives. Father God, thank you for your word today, Lord. And just, uh, uh, Lord, please draw us closer and closer to you. Help us to walk um, in your Holy Spirit on a regular basis, Father. And just prod us and let us be aware of your prodding when we uh, tend to to drift in any way, Father. Uh, Keep us close to your love and your mercy and your joy, Father. Let it be overflowing. Uh, Lord, as we prayed before, please show us your glory. Please show us more of your glory. That gives us more joy. I would also say, Father, please help us to, to, to pray on a regular basis that you would show us more of how much you love us, Father. Um, because it's, it's not of our own works of righteousness uh, that sustains us and gives us joy. But it is your love and your mercy, Father. Let that be overflowing in our lives so that we might overflow to share your beauty, the beauty of your love with those around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.